We will uh, complete the uh, saga of the runaway slave Onesimus uh, as we read these last verses. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. No longer, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would receive me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing this in my own hand. I will repay, not to mention that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, we're finishing up week three of our Father's Day series. Since, was it Philemon, Philemon, or Philemon? I don't know. That's been the big debate the last three weeks, so. <laughs> I have no idea, but I think it was a man. And these guys, you know, they had, had a family that was really... A nice family the first seven verses we talked about that family of faith and love and they had a church that was meeting on their property and they just everybody I think just felt like they wanted to be with those people because they were the kind of people that the love flowed through them or from God to them you know and that's the way it's supposed to be you know love and grace that comes from above it comes through as a channel to others the minute it stops here that selfishness agape dies the minute it's all about me so that's this Philemon and his wife and their son they were a group that just had the channel thing working and they they were loved by people and then we read on about the last week we talked about those three men Paul Onesimus and Philemon I keep saying Philemon. Somebody was saying, isn't it Philemon? I think it's probably Philemon. But I don't know. You all know who I'm talking about, right? Okay. <clears throat> Philemon. <laughs> but it, these three guys, Paul, Onesimus, and Philemon, they were, they were men who had to make a decision. Now, this might be hard for women to understand, but men are different than women. In our society, there's a little confusion about that, I know, but where I live, they're still, they're different. And I'm really thankful for that, you know, the differences. I, I celebrate that, I appreciate that. 
But these three guys were faced with the kind of problems that men are faced with when they don't always know what to do, what's the right thing, how to get it done, where do I find the answers in the book, who put the manual where. I mean, there's all kinds of things that go on in a man's head when he's trying to sort out these problems. And there must be a solution to the problem, for heaven's sakes, because I'm a man now and it's what I'm supposed to do. I fix things. And Dale says, I, I, I want to tell you about something. And I said, well, right, that's simple. You just do this. She said, I didn't ask you to fix it. I just asked you to listen. Well, I can't just listen. <laughs> that's not in the nature of a man. So did any of you guys ever go through that with your wives? You know, so these three guys had a decision. They, had, they all did. I know. They're liars if they're saying anything different. <laughs> anyway, the, uh, these three guys had this problem, and the problem was... Like Paul, it's like Onesimus, he just got saved. He gave his life to the Lord. He's a godly man. He's a big help to me. But he's also the property of another man. He's a slave. He does not belong to Paul. And Paul's not about to keep something that doesn't belong to him. It's just not right. But he really wants to. And he says so in the, when, in the letter when he writes back to Philemon. The last verse we covered last week, I, w- I would have kept him except... Without your permission, I, I couldn't do it. He said, I have to do the right thing. And there's the struggle, isn't it? Anybody in here struggle to do the right thing when you don't have all the information? And yet you're still going to try to do the right thing, come what may. You don't know how it's going to turn out, how it's going to be perceived. They're going to accuse me of being a manipulator if I, or whatever. And yet, the day comes, you have to make a decision. You have to take action. You have to do something. That's where Paul was. And Onesimus is like, man, Philemon's house is way back over there, and I'm here in Rome, and if Paul turns me loose, I'm free. I'm as free as I've ever been. If I never go back there, I just go north. We'll go up there into the live with the Huns or something, or the Celtics or whoever's up there. Let's get away from Rome. But now he's a born-again Christian, and he wants to do the right thing. What should he do? That's his struggle. He says, well, I better go back, because I have a debt to pay. and I, I need to go back, because the Lord has loved me so much, I must do the right thing. I must go back. And so Onesimus Apparently went back because he's the one that carried the letter. And then you got Philemon over there, and he's there standing around. Here comes Onesimus with a letter. It's like my runaway slave, this guy's crazy. Why did he come back here? Doesn't he know? And then he reads the letter, and he's like struggling. Now Philemon has his manhood problem. And it's a faith problem to boot, because now I've got to decide, should I do what the law legally allows me to do? Or should I go to a higher law, the law of love and grace, and follow Christ with my life? And of the three, they all three had real tough faith struggles in play. And they could have, done, could have gone either way. Beautiful thing about Onesimus is that Philemon apparently forgave him. We talked a little bit last week about collateral damage, military term for not such a good ending to a story. But every decision that we make has collateral blessings and or collateral damage. 
And I have no control over the outcome of either and the things that I do and say. All I can do is do what I think is by faith and the best thing that I possibly can do knowing who I am in the moment with this crisis, with this problem, with this thing. I must do what I think is right. And what happens is largely out of our hands. Whether people understand our motives or brave enough to say, hey, what is your motive? Or is that, we just have to do what's right. And that's tough for men. I think it's tough for women too. I think it's tough for all of us. So there they were. The funny thing about it though, you read uh, in history, Ignatius wrote a few things about the Bishop of Ephesus. Guess what his name was? Onesimus. It's a historical thing. Now, having said that, we don't know if it's the same guy. But there's a really good chance that it is because of the time and the period and the people. And one of the thoughts is that Onesimus had that letter. And maybe he's the one who kept it and entered it into the circulation. Because he's the one that carried it. And there's a good chance that Philemon at some point turned him free, freer than he'd ever been as a brother in Christ. Maybe he paid his debt and his time of servitude was over. But there is a guy not too far away from Colossae in Ephesus who's serving in leadership there in the church just a few years later. So we don't know. This is hypothetical, and I'm making it up. I get it. But it, it makes a good point, doesn't it? We don't know. We don't know what the outcome is going to be of the next decision that we make and what far-reaching impact and influence it will have in the lives of other people. We don't know. But it comes back to where's my faith in the Lord God who loved me and how am I being used as a channel for His grace and love to flow through People talk about my spiritual gift. Have you ever heard that? I've often wondered about that. How does that work if it ends with me and it becomes my spiritual gift? How is that the grace of God flowing through me to others? Shouldn't the gift of God be for others? If I'm just a channel, how is it my gift? It's his gift through me to someone else. And that's just my own personal hunch, but I think the church has really messed up in the last few years when they start teaching people to possess your spiritual gift. That's another argument for another day. But just think about, rather than owning a gift, being a channel through which you can be a blessing of grace and love and thanksgiving in the lives of other people. To me, that makes a lot more sense. And all of us have tough decisions to make. And all of us should, by faith, do the best we can and just keep moving. And then when you realize you need to make an adjustment, you can always say, I'm sorry, or you can always accept the thanksgiving and say, well, you're welcome. But just keep going. Don't get caught up with either one of them. Forward motion. So we end up with slaves and such. That's what we're talking about today. The whole list of names here of, uh, I don't know what they're nouns or adjectives or pronouns or what they are, but 
And I may not have captured them all, but here's some of the words that show up in this, these 25 verses. Prisoner, beloved friend, fellow laborer, fellow soldier, the church, saints, brother, prisoner, son, minister, slave, brother, partner, brother, guest, prisoner, and fellow laborer. That's a bunch, isn't it? And for such a short letter, how do you describe people when you talk about others? This is how Paul describes them. It's a... Uh, I'm pretty sure all of those are somewhat on the positive side of the ledger. Now, when I talk about people, it's sometimes on the other side. You know what I'm saying? The negative side. Like when a slave comes back to your church, do we really want someone like that in our church? I mean, come on, that guy, he's a slave. You know, of a certain race or kind or creed or religion or... You know, whatever. Then there's a whole bunch of names. He, <clears throat> he says, uh, Paul, Timothy, Philemon, Apphia, Archippus, Onesimus, Epaphras, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. 25 verses, a lot of descriptions, a lot of people. And I sometimes wonder when he says, my fellow laborers, if he's like, comma, and all the other fellow laborers, or if he's just given Mark and Demas and Luke an accolade of, you're my fellow laborers. You could be talking about a whole bunch of people. <clears throat> What'd be another name for a group of oddballs like that? See, that's the negative side, isn't it? What'd be a better way to say that? What would be a better name for such a lovely group of people? <laughs> the, the gathering place. Is that what you said, Brett? No. A game. <laughs> yeah, that too. It's really quite that, isn't it? It's a church. It, it's a group of people called out to a certain place to worship God. And if it's not about worshiping Him, it's a real mess. And it's an environment that, like this that allows a runaway slave to return to life and to fellowship and to hope and to grace and to thanksgiving. And it's all coming. People say, well, what would it be like if we were all the same. Did you ever think about that? If we were all the same, guess what? We'd all have the same problem. Who would be our comforter? Who would be our helper? Yeah, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? And if we all had the same abilities... A certain kind of thing would always be getting done, but a whole bunch of other things would not be getting done. We don't want that person in our church because he's not like us. Have you ever heard anything like that? Well, there's your problem. It's your attitude about people coming in. That's the problem. Because if you don't have the diversity, you'll never have the unity. And what's to unite if they're all the same? You have to have diversity and unity to make the whole thing work. God himself is a triune being. Operates on the principle of love. God is love. But it's a triune being in unity and still having some diversity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The question is, are they going to take him back? 
Paul said, well, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus back in verse 10, who I begot in my chains. Now let's get to verse 15. We'll run through these real quick. Here's a reason why. Some of the reasons that Paul is giving to Philemon as to why he should just receive Onesimus back. The first one, perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him for how long? So is he going to be a slave for all eternity? It's literal, isn't it? What's he talking about? Receive him forever. He's talking about the man is now born again Christian and has eternal life. And you're not only welcoming him back into your home, but back into your life in a way that will never end. Because believers, when they go home to be with Jesus, we're going to be together forever. It's a forever thing. And sometimes we lose sight of the fact that the people that we criticize the most, even in the church, I'm the only one guilty of that, right? Oh, come on, raise your hand if you're guilty. No, Ken refuses. Re refuses to admit he's guilty, that's all. Now, we all do it. I forgot what I was going to say about that, but probably better that I did. We're all guilty to some degree, but the thing is, when we receive people into fellow, when people come to know the Lord Jesus, it's a forever thing. It's a forever thing. And so if we would start focusing on the better parts of our, weak, of our, our humanity and overlooking some of the frailties and, uh, and try to lead and love and comfort one another in a good direction, and if we would just try to receive that input when someone's brave enough to speak into your life, and in the church that should be normal, not that we should go around picking on each other for every little thing, but, you know, sometimes we need to be talked to. And in the right spirit of love and grace and whatever else, that talking to should produce an outcome of, you really love me, don't you? You care. Yes, I do. And I can help. And we can help. And we should be more willing to receive that, especially if we're deciding, this is my church. I belong to the gathering place. Not, not to me, not to the elders, but to the body as a unit. And if we have that kind of a unit, then we should have the freedom because it's a forever thing. Now, there's people out there that say, well, he left and went and lived in deep sin and rebellion against his master for a while, but God ordained it so that he could get saved while he was gone. That's as much to say that God blesses everybody in their sin so that he can save them. That's as much to say as that you should go out and commit a whole bunch of crimes so that God can show you his mercy and grace. And that's not what the Bible teaches at all. But people use this verse to support that idea. All that Paul is saying is he did run away. He did take off. And as he said last week, let's put the details in order a little bit. He did leave, but look at the bright side. You're getting a brother back. The Lord did snatch him from his crime life of crime out there, but that's not condoning bad behavior in order to experience grace. Paul talked about that in Romans 6. But nonetheless, new life, new beginning, new values. Let's see, when someone is saved, they add value to the group. But he's a slave. He's a low life. He's white trash. You know, we, we don't want those kind of people. We were in church one time. 
people are getting saved and baptized. And some dear, sweet old sisters in the back of the church that made the coffee and kind of controlled the whole place. They said, we don't want those street people in our church. I thought, wow, why are we preaching the gospel then? It's an interesting question, but it, it happened. It didn't happen. Back me up, honey. Said, yeah, she's shaking her head, yes. It happened. <clears throat> Reason number two. Not just a slave, but a brother. But not just a brother either, but a forever brother. Verse 16, no longer a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Especially to me. I led him to the Lord, but how much more to you? You've been his master for a long time. Both now the blessing is in the flesh, servant-master relationship, but in the Lord, brothers in Christ forever. It's quite, a, quite an accomplishment. Now, this next slide is about slavery. None of us agree with it. Paul didn't even address it. But here's something <clears throat> that uh, Vincent in his word study said. Paul, dealing with the institution of slavery, displayed the profoundest Christian sagacity, which I do believe means wisdom. Uh, to have attacked the institution as such would have been worth, worse than useless. To one who reads between the lines, Paul's silence means more than any amount of denunciation. For with his silence goes his faith in the power of Christian sentiment to settle finally the whole question. Big statement here. He knows that to bring slavery into contact with Christ living Christianity is to kill slavery. He accepts the social condition as a fact, even as law. He sends Onesimus back to his legal owner. He does not bid Philemon to emancipate him, but he puts the Christian slave on his true footing of Christian brother beside his master. As to the institution, he knows that the recognition of the slave as free in Christ will carry with it ultimately the recognition of his civil freedom. It's a well-written paragraph, but it basically means that Christianity changes everything. If both the master and the slave, the boss and the worker, the husband and the wife, the parents and the child, if everybody comes to know Christ and lives the way they should, many relational problems go away. Slavery, because of people like William Wilberforce, who was a Christian man, fought in the British Parliament. They did away with slavery in the early 1800s. We took a little tougher route in this country, but eventually we got there. Now, has slavery been eradicated throughout the world? Not in the slightest. There's probably more slaves today than there ever have been. They're still out there, in various forms and shapes. Nothing influences any of it more than the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't care if it's politics, slavery, gender issues, whatever it is. Unless we're preaching the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the love and the grace that should flow through that to others and a dying world around us, we are wasting our lives. If we're caught up in so many other things that are secondary issues, we lose sight of the fact that people are still dying and going to hell, and we don't seem to care because we're busy arguing about who's going to win the next whatever. For what? 
We don't want a slave in our church. We want these kind of people that all believe the same thing we believe about the stuff we think is right. We're going to study the Bible? No, that's unnecessary because we already have our opinions formed. Reason number three, 17, 18, and 19. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he's wronged you and or owes you anything, put that on my account. I'm Paul. I wrote this with my own hand. I will repay it. So the, the third one has to do with not only is Paul willing to spiritually work and serve Onesimus and Philemon, he's putting everything on the line. I imagine Paul doesn't have a lot, but whatever he's got, he's willing to give it up to see Philemon saved from the death penalty. If it's a monetary issue, I'll pay it. He's put it all out there. Fourth reason, besides you owe me a favor. <laughs> By the way, not to mention, you know, but hey, you owe me your life. You owe me one. His life for my life kind of a thing. Now, we don't know exactly what happened or what Paul's getting at there. My guess is that Paul led Philemon to the Lord also. But I don't think it's as much a bribe because if it was a bribe, there'd be other words in there. But the way it's written, it often feels to us like Paul's being manipulative or bribing. But I think he's just stating the obvious fact. Um, look, the Lord Jesus saved me. I came to your house and read the gospel to you, and you got saved. And now Onesimus has gotten saved. We owe each other. There's a pattern that we're living in all the time. And there's a story about a guy who was forgiven some debt by the king, and he turned around and beat a guy half to death for not paying him. You remember that story? Yeah. And the Lord wasn't happy with that arrangement. And I think that's the same kind of thing Paul's getting at here. The Lord saved me. Paul's in prison. Yeah, he's old, he's in prison, and tired. he says, yeah, I'm doing good. All's good. And God, his grace, man. And I led Onesimus to the Lord, and, you know, just do the same thing, Philemon. Remember the pattern. And I think that's what's behind this talk more than anything. Just remember the pattern. We've all been given. We should all freely give. Reason number five. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. I'm old, I'm in prison, I'm aches and pains. And so if I had to hear that Onesimus was fed to the lions because of his runaway, which you could legally do, it would just break my heart. You don't, you know, let's in the Lord, do the right thing. Um, not just, how do you say it? I'm not just looking to be made happy for my sake. I don't think Paul was asking for anything, but this joy that he's talking about, this deeper sense of just knowing that Onesimus' life has changed. And of all the masters, he's been blessed with uh, Philemon. And Philemon is going to receive him back and love him well. And it's going to be wholesome and good. It'll be good for the church good for the family, good for the community. And that would make Paul's day. It's kind of like, what would Jesus do thing? Again, we should all be asking that same question. We've received from him, we should also be giving. And not holding it back. The minute we keep it to ourselves, agape dies. 
Number six, Philemon will do the right thing. And see, here's Paul's conclusion. I mean, and again, I don't think it's manipulation. He's just stating the facts. I already know you, brother. You're going to do the right thing. But he's given him some details about Onesimus's life in the light of everything that he knows Philemon to be, a beloved brother, a fellow laborer, a fellow worker, a slave for Christ's sake, dedicated to the gospel. He's, in Paul's mind, he can't see uh, Philemon doing anything. I've used all three of them now. <laughs> he can't see Philemon doing anything other than the right thing. Well, that's the question for us, isn't it? Can you see yourself doing anything other than the right thing? Paul said of uh, Philemon, he says, I know you will. I know you will. When presented with an issue, I know you will. It's like, that should be our prayer. Lord, you know, let me be found faithful at the end of the day. And the Lord's up there saying, I know you will. And I'm thinking, Really? <laughs> Well done, good and faithful servant. The whole time, he said, yeah, well, all the rest of it's been paid for. Let it go. Move on. Get up. Keep going. Say you're sorry. Live it. I know you will. Reason seven. But meanwhile, I'm coming to check up on you. This might be the one. If Paul's fully intending to come and visit, he's keep me a room. But I'm coming. When I get there, I think he's really saying, is, I am looking forward to seeing the love that exists in your household with Onesimus and what he's going to do for the sake of the gospel in the next few months. I can't wait to get there to see it with my own eyes. And it would, for him, it would be the conclusion of the life the time in prison was worth it all just to see Onesimus shine when he got back home. So then he gets to verse 23, the salutations. He says, Epaphras, lovely. That's what his name means. Christian man mentioned in the epistles. Paul calls him my fellow prisoner. Apparently he was in jail with Paul at the time. He sends his greeting. Then verse 24, Mark his name means defense, but he went to defend the gospel. He wrote the book of Mark. You remember Mark at one time was Barnabas's cousin or nephew or something, and Paul and Barnabas got in a big harangue about Mark being a worthless. Why did you bring him on this mission trip? And they sent him away. And Well, now Paul's saying something different about Mark. He's, he's a value. So there's been a second chance in Mark's life. Because Mark lined up and has become a defense of the gospel. And Mark has put it in gear. He's got things in perspective where they belong. And he's rolling. Aristarchus, another one, fellow Christian, traveled with Paul a lot. Demas, name means governor of the people. We have a hunch by the time you get to Second Timothy, he says, Demas has forsaken me. Demas took off. Not sure why, not sure what he did, but Paul was not happy with Demas. In the midst of a problem, Demas cut and run. That's another temptation that men have. It's easier to cut and run sometimes than it is to stand and take the heat in the kitchen or wherever else you seem to run into it. We, uh, we often would just soon escape, get away. But uh, it's not a good path that Demas took. Luke, Lucia, 
Light giving, it's what the name means, the male and female version of the word Luke. Of course, we know that he wrote, did you know that word for word, he wrote more of the New Testament than any other person? Paul wrote more epistles, but I think there's more words in Acts and Luke, the gospel. So Luke is huge. Gentile writer, doctor, thinker, and his record are, uh, have been found to be impeccable so far. They've never discovered anything that has contradicted anything he's ever written. And uh, he's with Paul, my fellow laborers. He gets us down to the last verse. You ladies can come on up and get ready. to. We'll wrap this up real quick. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Now, it isn't necessarily your Holy Spirit. It's just your human spirit. That the grace of God needs to be with us. And we know that the love of God is to be with us. And we know that we are to be the channels of that grace. And Paul gives to Philemon at the end of this note, he says, look, all these people, all these brothers, all these slaves and such that we are, everything that we are, such sinners, such slaves, such messed up people on the best of days, we have the grace of God Almighty with our spirit. Humanly speaking, we have all that we need. And the grace is flowing forever from him who is capable of delivering it. The, the grace that is available is limitless, that it cannot be shut off. You cannot declare a sin or a crime or anything that is so great that you think you've committed that the grace of God and the forgiveness of God at Calvary will not forgive the sin that's been committed. Our whole lives have been covered by the blood of the cross. Christ has died for us. And he said, just trust me and I'll get you home. And within the word grace, there is one little snag at the end. Because it comes to us freely as a gift. And in the receiving of the gift, what is our part? Yes, and say what? What? Thank you. Thank you. It's in the definition of the word. It comes from a benevolent benefactor who has more to give than you'll ever use. And all we have to say is, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Such slaves and sinners as we are.
We just thank you for the chance to hear about your grace again. And as we go forward from this place, help us to realize that this body represents you on the street, that we might share the love and the grace and the thankfulness, that we might be channels of your blessing to others, that your gift might flow to them through Christ Jesus. And in a sense, Lord, we thank you for using us. We'd ask your blessing as we go in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.